One of the things I love about our church is the kids. And me and Andy always talk about this, and I don't know if you should be saying this before you get up to preach, but a lot of the time the only time we come to church is for our children. Because when you get to a certain stage, and that's not like you know it all, but you've learned tools to feed yourself. And, you know, you can kind of tell yourself that you don't really need church. But kids keep you humble. Because sometimes they might need it and you might need it, or sometimes you just need uh, to learn like they do. So I'm really grateful. So apologies, because usually it's my kids who are making all the noise. Uh, But I think kids bring life and remind us what it's all about. And Jesus said, like, so for the little children, like, we need to bring them to the Lord before I'm and so much of, I think, like we joke about this, but so much of our service sometimes is about the adults. And I think we could learn a lot if we humbled ourselves and just made it about the kids sometimes, maybe all the time. Because uh, you can't be comfortable around kids. And that's something we can learn about our faith. We're never supposed to be comfortable. Um, so this morning we're going to just get into a few bits. If you give me a second um, to just check the slides and get these to stuff. You know, say, talk among yourselves. Say hello, turn around to the person beside you, make them feel hugely uncomfortable, and say hello. <laughs> you know, all the people sitting beside their family because they're like, I don't want to talk to them. I'm not looking at the table, but I'm looking at the table. <laughs> no. Grand. So I'll just turn our phones off and everything. Um, something, this is just me, like something that God's really challenged me about is just disconnecting a little bit from everything. Um, if you put it in context, like how crazy is it that you just couldn't turn your phone on flight mode? This is me, this is not saying to you, right? So this is not me, like this is not a word from the Lord. Right, so uh, sometimes... Uh, how crazy is it that it takes me so, it's so hard for me to just disconnect for 30 minutes and connect with God. Like, but I have to keep the phone on. You're like, what's going to happen in those 30 minutes that I can't disconnect and focus my mind, my body, my soul, and my technology on the Lord? Uh, so I'm just disconnecting here and we'll, um, we'll get going. So part of the Liberty Preaching uh, is uh, we're doing... We do the Bible experience. And I'll be honest, I uh, dabble in and out of us. I know there's some really amazing hardcore people in all the Liberty congregations who are every morning up there reading their chapters, doing everything. And I aspire to be that holy and wonderful person who lives in the Word every single day. But hands up, I kind of fail quite a lot. Um, but the thing I love about it is... Um, I can just dive in. When I do get that window, when the, when the mood takes me, or if I find out I'm on the preaching mode, I can just dive right in. And so uh, at the moment we're in, um, there's a New Testament section, and uh, you read a chapter from the New Testament, a chapter from the Old Testament, and then a psalm on Sunday. And, you know, it's really blessed me, because sometimes, I don't know about yourself, we stick around the scripture that we're used to or that we like. Or we do that amazing, like, Lord, speak to me. Okay, there we go. All right, Ezra. Oh, that's funny. That's my child. Thanks, didn't come um, But, uh, you know, we kind of do a lucky dip, which is a little bit like a horoscope in some ways. You're like, oh, show me what to do. Um, but by doing the Bible experience, we get to read parts of the Bible that we'd never usually look at. 
And that's really important because we need to have the whole Bible and not just cherry pick. That's what can be difficult. But the Bible experience gives you a chance to look in Second Chronicles, like, um, or the bits that are just lists of genealogy that you kind of zone out on that actually have a wealth of knowledge. Because shock horror, if it's in the Bible, God has it there for a reason. And we may not initially understand why, but it is there for a reason. And there's wealth and there's depth in that. If we can just carve out time, if we can just carve out space to dive in. And that's how I felt this week. Because I wouldn't really be floating around Chronicles thinking the Lord has a word for me that's really going to change my life. I kind of like, oh, another king who kind of started off good and then decided to wander off. Okay, next. And it gets a bit monotonous. But I really am. I was really grateful for the opportunity of looking at something that wasn't just, you know, the New Testament even. Because we like to stay around Jesus. Because he's all nice and lovely. And he loves you. And he died for you and he had a little discomfort, but I'm good. I'm dying, saved, I'm redeemed, hallelujah. Let's go on with my life and everything's wonderful. But if God has put the Old Testament there, and it clearly says that we are part of that, we're an extension of that, it's not to be dropped, it's not to be forgotten about. Everything in the Old Testament declares the coming of Christ. It's the story, of a love story that's building, that's anticipating, that, that comes to the point um, that tells us. And the Old Testament teaches us about waiting. And in the modern world, even I turn off the phone, we're not that good at waiting. Everything is instantaneous. Even doing this sermon, I was like, I can just get on my phone and say, what's that scripture, where is it? If I had been preaching years ago, like, I would have to get out my, I would have to trawl to the script, have to look up the concordance and find a reference, look up the subject. No, it's taken me a lot more. Like, everything is instantaneous. And the thing about the Old Testament is, it teaches us about waiting, about patience, about God's timing. And the more I walk with the Lord, the more I learn. It's a process. It's a long journey. Um, and that can be tricky but let's remember why because God is faithful, God is good God is just, God is amazing and God has something for you and it's in the process yes we have those absolutely amazing anointed God moments like I had, the reason I walk with the Lord is because I had one of those wow moments absolutely down in bits suicidal in my bedroom about to give up on it all and God invaded my room and his presence engulfed me and changed my life forever and I will never be the same again so there are those amazing God moments but that was 30 something years ago and then at some point I'm going to go to heaven which I'm looking forward to but not quite now what's in the middle bit it's the waiting, it's the patience, it's the learning bit that I need to walk out. So that's why I love the Bible experience, because it's teaching me those things over and over again, reminding me that when the well moment is gone and you get those along your way, that I'm reading scriptures, I'm learning, there's new things, I will never know at all. And Lord God, keep me humble, keep us humble, Lord God. We will never know at all. So what we're looking at today, the title is, what kind of king do you want to be? What kind of king will you be? And the reason I called it kind of entitled that was because 
Um, Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. I'm just going to give a bit of background. If you know this, just stay with us. I just find sometimes when we are comfortable with each other, we assume everybody is at the same level or like the set has the same knowledge as us, and we kind of throw these things out, and then maybe half the room don't really understand what the context is. So we'll just do a quick, a quick thing on that now. So Chronicles. Second Chronicles looks at Judah. Okay. Who is Judah? Judah is the tribes, right? There's 12 tribes, and I'm just going to show you a little history lesson there. So we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 26 to 31. And it starts with this. Basically, there were the tribes of Israel who were the sons and uh, kind of grandsons of Jacob. And the people broke up, and these who, these, who they are, right? So you've got Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Esther, well, you can read them there, right? And I can send these graphics on to you if you have a real knowledge. I'm a bit of a nerd, you may not be, but we'll see if the context. If you want them, I'll shoot them off to your phone. Now, these tribes, um, it was a bit of a debacle, so it was all Israel, the 12 tribes. What happened was, we'll, we'll go too into it, but they split. And there was the Northern Territory, which took the name of Israel, and there was the Southern Territory that took the name of Judah. So, they each decided to have a different king, and they both had different things going on. So, here's the region. I promise this is, it has a context to it, right? So, the northern region there, the kingdom of Israel up the north, and the southern region, the kingdom of Judah there in the bottom. We're going to look at the kings of Judah. Um, basically, there was... I think there was 24 of Israel or 25 of Israel and 21 kings in, in uh, no, yeah, sorry, 25 in Judah and 21 in Israel. Um, they aren't just in there for me to get all nerdy and like, ooh, what does that mean? Ooh, ah, like, they're there for a reason. It is remembered, it is written down for a reason. To remind. Each one of those tribes have a purpose, okay? Each one of those kings has a story, has a life lived, has a lesson for us to learn. And it's, I feel, I look at them kings and I see different ones, I see parts of myself. It's really, you could look at them, you know like kind of like a historic figure, Abraham Lincoln, Charles Stuart Cornell, these people in it, they can become like these, just these like historic figures. But each one of them was a person who made choices. To walk with God, to not walk with God, to half walk with God, to start off walking with God, to then lose the plot, end up in disaster. Some went back to God, some didn't come back to God. That's a story I can relate to. I may not be a king of a nation, but I'm a person with a journey and a story. And sometimes I lose my way. And I think God put those king's stories in Second Chronicles to remind us so we can see ourselves, to bring us back, because God is merciful, and God is amazing, and his whole, this whole love story is about bringing us back into the fold, loving us, wanting the best for us. A big thing, let's start, so Second uh, Chronicles, and we start with chapter 26, okay, and the king is called Uzziah. Here's a clue, if people don't name their babies after them anymore, they probably weren't a good king. Have you heard of an Uzziah? No, or an Ahab. He's the one you really don't want to name your child after. Uh, so many jokes about how that sounds. But anyway, um, so we'll go into Uhaz. Now, Uhaz started off 
and loving God. He loved him wholeheartedly. He served him wholeheartedly. It says in the beginning like that, um, that uh, in everything he did, he brought it before the Lord. Wouldn't that be a great testament? Is it like, if that was on my tombstone, I'd be absolutely delighted. And if you only read the first half of chapter 26, you're like, I want to be like, who has? He's amazing. But then it goes, he was so successful, he began to become full of pride. He beat all those who came, like he fought, he won every battle. He became very rich. The kingdom expanded. People were all serving the Lord. There was fruit, there was, um, the harvests were full, the people were happy. But then he became proud. And as he became proud, his strength, he started thinking, I'm a deadly king. I got this. Look at me, I'm succeeding. This isn't too bad. Now I'm sure he didn't like suddenly wake up on a Tuesday going, I'm dead. It all starts in the mind and the heart. He wins one battle and started it being the automatic thank you, God, God of it, God of Judah, thank you. You've given us victory. It starts being Thank you, God, but a little bit of me. Thank you, God, a little bit of me. And there's absolutely no problem in being comfortable in who you are and knowing that God has anointed you. Don't get me wrong. But pride starts in the heart. And it's a thought and an action. And we all have it. Like even about, say, something a little bit different. I'm trying to teach my boys about generosity. And um, one of them is more naturally generous than the other. So some of us just have maybe a more generous nature than others. One son in particular really struggled. And I'm trying to explain something. I just said to him, no one, very few people have said, want to give out of their, we were doing their work, out of their birthday money. They're thinking, oh, I can get this at mine, I can keep this, I can do this. But it's a choice. If you want to be generous, you exercise that muscle. And you give, and you give, and you give, and you give. And it will become natural then. But it's a choice you start. And hands up, if we had like a secret poll, does anybody want to give away their hard-earned cash, or their hard-earned time, or their hard-earned love? Do they? Mm-hmm. I think if we're all honest, we'd be like, oh, but you know, I worked all mm-hmm. But it's a discipline. And I think humility and pride we can attack it the same way. We all have pride in our heart. If you think you don't, then maybe we might have to have a little chat. That's what I kind of say to me. We might have to have a chat about that later. Um, no, but it, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. It started with Adam and Eve thinking they were better than God thinking that they could handle this themselves. Oh my word, who wants that gorgeous baby? (laughs) 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 Anyway, sorry guys. I bet you thought I was going to say that about Andy, didn't you? No. Um, So, it's about pride starting in our heart. And everyone, Hosea, can teach us that as things, if we're in crisis, you can be sure I'm going to call out to the Lord. If things are falling apart, if you can't make your mortgage, if uh, your kids are going down a path you can't handle or you're worried about them, who are you going to call? 
not Ghostbusters God, okay? You're going to cry out to Jesus. It humbles you. Those situations break you. They hurt you. But you, you will run to God. If you've tasted his goodness and you know where he is and you know that he saved you and you know that he's brought you out of dark places, you will run to God when those things happen. Well, what do we do in our successes, in our victories, when there is enough money in the bank account, when you've got the house you dreamed of, when um, the kids are healthy and strong and going after God, when everything you're like, all right, this is good. Now, God wants that for you. He wants you to rejoice. He wants you to thrive in life. However, we seem to have this human nature that when we thrive, we start going, I'm doing quite well. I'm doing great. All right. And then you realize, oh, kind of forgotten to give God the props for that. All good things come from the Lord. That does not negate that you worked for it. It does not negate that you put the hours in. But let us be humbled and remember who God is. All good things. If there's a good thing in your life, it comes from the Lord. And let's give him praise. That's why he constantly tells us in our songs, even today, the songs that Davina picked were amazing because they were like, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit. Your power, your glory, not mine. It takes the focus off us, what we can do, and puts it back on God and makes us realise, I need you. I don't want to start my life everything right, lined up, loving God, and then him blessing me and I'm losing. And then eventually I realise I'm far away from God. I've forgotten to give him the praise. I've forgotten to humble myself. I've become unfaithful to God because of my pride. Because I'm giving the glory to myself. And that's what Isaiah can teach us in chapter 26. The next king that comes along um, is his son, Joham. Now, Joham inherits a very different uh, kind of country than his, fa- that his father did. So, basically, just if we look at Isaiah um, for a minute, he, just go back to him there for a second, he, um, he was so proud that he went into the temple of the Lord. And if you know a bit of Old Testament history, he wasn't allowed in the sacred place. You had to be a high, you had to be a priest. And he went in because he was like, I can do this. I don't need you. I've got this. He negated and forgot what God had said. And sometimes we kind of looked about, you know, how God's, God's word. I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? I, think I, look, I feel that I don't need to do that part of the Bible. But I feel it's okay to do that. And that's what Isaiah did. And he went in, and, and to really understand the absolute, like the holiest of holies. Um, in the Old Testament, it was like people dropped down dead from going in there with sin. And he marches in, and he, um, he just forgets who God is. And, they, and, and, and his high priest like go in and they're like, please get it, stop, like try to save him. And he's like, how dare you speak to me? I'm the king. And what happened was, he got struck with leprosy. As they're trying to correct him, leprosy comes all across his face. And that's even worse. So he's like, now, um, in, 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 in biblical time like that, it would be like dirty. 
So in that time, he's in the Holy of Holies. It's not just his presence and his sins that have made it defiled. He has now brought leprosy into the Holy of and they rush him out. And even he gets completely freaked out. Um, and for the rest of his life, he lived with leprosy. He could no longer live in the palace where he was. He couldn't, the consequences of his arrogance and his pride was that he couldn't, um, he couldn't even uh, be buried with the rest of the kings. And that's his legacy now. He didn't start off like that. He started off being faithful and godly and amazing and loving his people and serving his people and bringing... He started off saying he brought everything before the Lord. But that was his legacy now. He's forever written, even if you look in Kings, his legacy and what he's remembered for is the king who got so arrogant, he went into the Holy of Holies, defiled it, and then uh, brought leprosy in, and he couldn't even be buried with the rest of his family. His son, Johan, took over from him before he'd even died because he couldn't go out and be around. He couldn't be a king anymore. And that's what... I would hate that to be my legacy. So his son, Johan, inherited um, this kingdom and that legacy. And, you know, maybe just stop and think, what have, what have you inherited in your family? <coughs> Spiritually or practically? that you want to make sure. Johan was so, he was 25, he reigned for 16 years, and he could have taken on his father's sin. But he chose to learn from it. He chose that I want to be like my father of his youth, who loved God, who brought everything before the Lord. He chose, and it says about him, um, in verse 6, of uh, 2 Chronicle 27. Johan was powerful because he was careful to live in obedience with the, Lord, with the Lord God. It says in verse 2, um, he did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. He was just like his dad or father, but he did not defile the temple of the Lord. He learned from the mistakes of the generation that went before him. He humbled himself enough to learn and take wisdom and say, do you know what? I'm going to seek the Lord in all that I do. I'm going to be in obedience to God's ways above my ways. And his legacy is very different to his dad's. And he wasn't like another thing, like, do you know how many, he wasn't like super famous. How many Johans do you see going around? Do you know what I mean? Um, but his legacy, was, it's like when I read about him, if you read chapter 27, I encourage you to go home and read it. Um, it's like sweet. From a bitter, broken legacy, his home and his reign was sweet. They had victory. He learned. And people, all the people of the tribes began to come back to the temple of the Lord and they were drawn to God again. Now he wasn't the most famous king of all. His name, like, his name isn't written in other cultures about how amazing he was. But God hasn't there for us to remember. And for me, what I got out of his story was he learned from the mistakes of his ancestors. And he chose to correct his behaviour and not think that he knew it all. And the thing about these, the, we're going to look at two more things. 
they're all sons. In Israel, there was a lot of in-house fighting and everything, and people were overthrown, and people killed people, and they weren't always family members. In this section of Chronicles with Judah, it was peaceful transition of power from father to son. So it really speaks about legacy and families, which we can all learn from. When Jotham dies, the place is at peace. They had battles, but they had victory. His son grew up in peace and comfort. And his son, son was Ahab. So, Jotham would have obviously grown up seeing all what had happened with his father. The peace and then the war and the invasion and the temple and all the stuff that had gone wrong. Um, so he inherited a bit of a fractured country. He brought peace, he brought stability, he brought calm. So his son grew up in that. So all he knew was calm and peace and prosperity and victory. Ahaz was very different to his father. He almost instantaneously went, forget it all, I'm doing it my way. And I'm going to read um, something about Ahaz now so you get a feel for him. He is Second Chronicles chapter 28. So we're going to look chapter 28, verses 22 to 26. I uh, I started this new thing where I I'm not looking at things on my phone because I get distracted. I think I told you last time. So now this is this is called a paperback Bible. I'm not sure if you've seen one. And um, it's quite kind of vintage if you see by the feel of it. And um, but I found it quite remarkable for keeping my focus. So let's go from 22. So basically, um, Ahad had put invaded, had victory, took the pagan gods, brought it back, put it in the temple, decided he was going to do it his own way. But then what happens when people disobey God? Absolute destruction and people invading the country of Judah again and the place is broken. And we pick it up here where he goes in 22. Even during the time of trouble, they've been invaded, they've been broken. King Ahaz continued to reject the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him. For he said, since these gods helped the king of Aram, they will help me too if I sacrifice to them. But instead they led to his ruin and the ruin of all of Judah. The king took the various articles from the temple of the god and broke them into pieces. He shut the doors of the temp- God's temple so that no one could worship there. And he set up altars to pagan gods in every corner of Jerusalem. He made pagan shrines in all the towns of Judah for offering sacrifices to their gods. In this way he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. The rest of the events of Ahaz's reign and everything he did from the beginning to the end are recorded in the book of Kings of Judah and Israel. When Ahaz died, he was buried in Jerusalem, but not in the royal cemetery. The kings of Judah and then his son Hezekiah took the reign. So, you see Uhaz, the first king, he, he started good, ended bad. The son, seeing the devastation he came from, was adamant they weren't going back there. His son then grew up in comfort and thought, I can handle this, I can do all this. And he lived in absolute destruction. And he was so full of pride that even in the devastation, even in the fruit of his actions, was that Judah was destroyed. 
not just him, not just his family, the whole country was in devastation. They were invaded and raided several times. They lost everything. But rather than running towards God, what did it tell us? He looked to the gods of the people who had defeated him, brought their, took the holiest of holiest things out into the street, smashed them, and then closed the temple of the Lord, that even the faithful among the people in Judah couldn't even go to the temple. He was so, so stuck in his way that he was doing it his way no matter what and he would not be humbled. Now, I don't... You, you may come across people like that in life, right? But I think if we were to look at that, you can say, oh, like he's so separate to us. He's so evil. He's so um, against God. I would never be like that. We can't relate. But maybe have a little think. I think all of us have something. I think all of us have something, a part of our heart that we've sheltered off, that we've said, God, on this point, I will not submit. I will not be humbled. I will not trust you. And the, the thing of this is that God is merciful. And we can look at the stories and just see all the bloodshed and stuff, but he is merciful and loving. And he will try anything to get through to you. And even if it's just hearing this story about a king from hundreds of years ago called Ahaz, that makes you just stop and think, I don't want that for my life. I don't want my legacy for my family. Let's look at this as if their reigns are like their family. I don't want the fruit for my family to be devastation because I won't follow or submit to the Lord on something. Let's not just shut up the story as, oh, he's a total train wreck, I have all my stuff together. Let's be humble and say, Lord, if, if there is something in me, a part of me, you know that I will not be broken. You will not have this. Lord, help me to humble myself. And then the scriptures in the Old Testament about, you know, like he'll take out your heart, your heart of stone and give your heart of flesh. So it might just be he will take out the part of your heart that is a little bit of stone and give you a heart of flesh and graft it in and heal it and restore you. Amen. Now finally we're going to look at the star student, the king we aspire to, Hezekiah. And he followed this devastation. He came up in a broken, and you know, um, maybe you came from a very broken and fractured family, and maybe you inherited an awful lot of baggage, or maybe that's just me. But you know, you had a lot, and you inherit this land. The temple is closed. No one's serving the Lord anymore. You've been invaded, you've been broken, the riches, there's nothing, the fields are empty. It's absolute devastation is what you're inherited or what you're, you're living with. But the first thing Hezekiah does, like within 12 days of taking over reign, he brings all the Levites together who are the priests. He says, he says, we need to get this sorted, we need to get the doors open, we need to... But it's not like, like a building, like we just need to clean. There was rituals, there was a lot of work to go in to make the temple holy again, that people could go in, that it was sacred again. And so they went at it. The first thing he did, I am going to get back in the house of the Lord. 
I'm going to make it a safe and holy place again. So for 12 days non-stop, they all got together. The priests weren't even sanctified. They, they've fallen out of all their traditions. To be a priest, you had to follow the sanctification rules. You had to do these processes. You had to be clean. No one was doing it anymore. So they all had to. So it was like this dual thing. You can't use start out the temple. We'll, so half the people were getting blessed and sanctified on this side. Half the other side were getting them trying to get the temple ready. He did not go, maybe, just give me a bit of time, let me settle in. He was like, I do not want this legacy. I am going to cut it from my life, from my family's life, from my country's life. I am going at this. We are hitting the ground running. And if you read him, so all the other kings have one chapter. Hezekiah has three. Because he did so much, so quickly. Because he had set his sight on obeying the Lord. And attacking it with vigor with such passion that he was doing it, he was doing it right. Um, now, different personalities respond to things like that really well. If you're a, do- if you're a doer and go-getter, you're like, yes, he's my man, I'm going to do that. That's how I attack things. If you're a bit slow mover, you're like, oh, it comes down a bit, like, give me a little, you know. Um, but there's something in there in how he approached it that we can all learn from. Sometimes there are things that there is no please wait. There are things that need to be gouged out straight away. Now, I'm not telling you what's in it for your life. I'm just talking about it for myself. There's things that I have allowed take root that I need not have let take root. And I can't decide my time. If God speaks and tells me in obedience, I need to go, no. Um, and it's quite again, thinking if I can handle it on my own, I can do it my way. And we can say, well, my personality type or how I approach things or I feel, we have all these answers. And just to cut through that, if God commands us to do something, he's gracious and merciful, but he says, do it. And there's a humility in submitting what you think to what God thinks. And even if you don't understand it, sometimes I have to say to my boys, like, um, I know you don't understand why I'm asking you to do this, but I need you to trust me that what you're doing is unsafe. But, and they're like, but, 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 I, but I'm careful, but I won't do that. But, but You need to trust me that what you're doing is not good for you. And hopefully, someday... It's great. Some days I'm like parenting Yoda. Other times, they don't listen to me. Let's be honest. But sometimes, if I ask them, do I love you? Do I want the best for you? Have I ever lied to you? Then trust me. And in these things, in our own walk with God, does he love you? Does he want the best for you? Does he know what's good for you more than you know what's good for you? Then trust him. I'm just going to read a little bit about um, Hezekiah. I thought it might be good to put a bit of actual Bible in in case you think I'm making this all up. Let's have a look. 29. 29 2 says, so let's just the start of 29. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became the king of Judah and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Um, his mother was Adiah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. So Hezekiah is remembered for being like the greatest king that ever reigned. 
he's not remembered for being the son of Ahaz or the grandson of Oham, Joham or the great-grandson of Isaiah. The fruit and legacy of his labour was that he was remembered to be like David, the greatest king that ever reigned on Israel. The thing about Hezekiah sorry, was that he, um, he's so much more than what he did. If you read all his actions, they speak of a man of integrity. So Israel and Judah were separate. Under um, Ahaz's reign, Israel, their own cousins, came in and kicked their bottoms. And they totally destroyed them, even took, them, uh, took slaves of their own relatives. It's only that God called out and said, listen, I know they're being awful, but that is not how the people of God act. And he, sent, he corrected the people of Israel and they sent their prisoners and everything back to Judah. And because of God's mercy on them, they didn't deserve it, but God showed mercy. So that's what he inherited. But as soon as um, Hezekiah opened the temples and cleansed it and made it, for, he wanted to do Passover. And he said, I'm going to invite the cousins. It was only 30 years ago that they had been raided and robbed and desecrated and murdered by their own cousins. But he knew God's way was different. Hezekiah's story speaks of what God's character is like. He is merciful. He is forgiving. He starts off doing everything in obedience with God. God prompted him to extend the olive branch to the cousins, the Israelites. And you know what happened? They were laughing at him, but it didn't stop him. He kept the door open, and the very few Israelites who were still practicing the faith faithfully came in. Hezekiah's character screams. I'd really encourage you to read through it. And um, just learn from him. Like, we can, I don't, we can be here all day, and I can speak for a lot longer, but I don't want to. I'd encourage you in your own time, please read those chapters. Second Chronicles 26, 27, 28, 29, 29 to 31 is Hezekiah, if you just want to do that. And see the man who he was, because it speaks of what was to come. In Old Testament history, there's a lot of like, you know, follow the rules, if you don't follow the rules, you're out. Okay. But Hezekiah gives us a glimpse of the way it was Israel. That God is merciful, that God is caring, that he's forgiving. Because Hezekiah humbled himself, because he restored the temple and did everything, it says that he brought everything towards the Lord. Every single thing. Do you think he wanted to expend the olive branch to the cousins? No. I'm sure he wanted to go over there, raid them and show what it was like to be embarrassed and defiled. But he didn't. He said, let's use the Passover as a way of reuniting our family and serving the one true living God. It says at the end of 30, that the pre, um, chapter 30, verse 27. Then the priests and the Levites stood and blessed the people, and God heard their prayers from his holy dwelling. It was the first time in those years that God had heard their prayers again, because Hezekiah had made a way for his people and his relatives to find their way back to the Lord. 
maybe your humbleness and your walk with God and how you persevere and how you refuse to inherit the desolate stuff from your generations before will be the reasons that the future generations will walk with the Lord. You may not understand why God is asking you to do something. You may not have the blueprint. We're looking at this. We're looking at these stories where many generations on where we've got a totally different world. But they're there to teach us. You may be asked to do something that the future gen- your obedience will bless the future generations. I want to be a Hezekiah. It says, if this I love like this is how it ends in thirty one. In all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow in God's laws and commandments, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful. The word that just sprang out to me was wholeheartedly. Your whole heart. Your whole being. He served the Lord and sought his, his God wholeheartedly. So, um, when I look at that, it just blows my mind of the possibilities for my life, for my children's lives, for my grandchildren's lives, for the generations that come past. I can't, I can't change where I've come from. I can't change maybe what's been done in the past. But my choices can hugely impact the future and the generations if I will humble myself and and seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Um, It says that the Lord is the only one who knows your heart. And I stay away from analogies and examples because then you're like, you can kind of separate yourself from it, but you know your heart. You know what's going on in it. You know your challenges. Um, you know the scripture says if you speak in the tongues of angels but have not love you are just a resounding sound or a gong you can play a great game I can put on a church face I can, I can put forward the best. I can put on a great show but you know the truth of your heart and it's only you and God that can do what needs to be done we have the luxury of this relationship. We have the luxury of this legacy because of the amazing work of Jesus Christ. It starts with him. It starts with loving God. Acknowledging that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And in that, it's humbling. In, in our tradition, we sometimes are like, you're saved, which is true in one part. But in, in the Catholic tradition, there's like a, a different understanding where like, um, you were saved, you are saved, and you're being saved. And some of that is what we need as we walk ahead. Yes, you're saved. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. But I need to be continually, as I walk the steps out, as I walk this life out, to be humbled 
I'm reminded that I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. 